Um, <laughs> so disclaimer, if I, like, I know I'm kind of just maybe weird a little bit generally, but if I say other weird things, it's either due to spending a weekend with middle school students or not sleeping much. I was up this morning a little after, a little before five, uh, rolling up my sleeping bag in the hallway so I could quietly sneak away uh, to get back here. So um, hopefully uh, God will use just the reading and preaching of his word to accomplish his purposes in me and in all of us who are here today. So we've been in this series in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 21. And as we turn there, just a question for you. Remember 2020, don't you? Uh, it wasn't all that long ago. It's now 2022. Maybe you've tried to forget 2020. When I think about, like, I like to think sometimes because I like history. I like to think about, okay, so if people in the future look back at the year 2020, how are they going to describe what happened in the year 2020? I think one word that would show up probably again and again is the word divisive. It just seemed like a divisive year, from racial tension and riots to a brutal campaign and election season to a life-altering pandemic and response. There was no shortage of like misinformation, accusation, strong opinions, loud voices, and just an overall divisive time. And unfortunately, the Church of Jesus Christ wasn't totally shielded from that kind of division. Church leaders found themselves trying to shepherd flocks of people that listened to a lot of different loud voices and formed their own strong opinions. They disagreed with each other, even within one body, and so any decision that leaders would make, it seemed like somebody was going to be really upset about a decision one way or the other. Churches split. Pastors not only left their churches, but many pastors just gave up on pastoral ministry altogether. The advance of the gospel, unfortunately, faded into the rearview mirror as everybody is just trying to survive over that year or two years or whatever it's been. But some churches, but some churches, by God's grace, got through all of that in a way that allowed the gospel to continue to advance. I would put our church in this category, not because we're be just God has been gracious to us. He's been at work. Disciples are being made. The church is growing. The gospel is advancing. And it's not because we all agreed on everything all the time. That's just not true. I think it's because we have decided that we want to be a people that's not so much molded by whatever we heard on like talk radio or on social media or on cable news, but we want to be a people molded by the very word of God. And we want to be a people that are motivated by the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want that to drive what we do and how we do it. And so in that vein, we have been willing from time to time, which is what we should do, to relinquish some of our rights, not make that be the, the primary thing. Make me happy. Go along with my opinions and my preferences and, and give me all of my rights. That's not what we've been all about. We've willingly given up some of our rights in order that we might love one another to see the gospel go forward as we are unified in mission. And I'm grateful that God worked in us in that way. So today, we continue our series in Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 21. We're picking up where we left off. We're in verse 17. We're going to go down through verse 36 today. Here's the argument for today. God is glorified when the gospel advances through a diverse church willing to relinquish our rights in the midst of loud and divisive voices. 
Now, if you remember where we've been, this is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And he was told by the Holy Spirit directly and also by the Holy Spirit through a prophet that when you get to Jerusalem, remember he was traveling with kind of a posse of people. He had a bunch of representatives from all these different churches along with an offering and they were on their way to Jerusalem, but they were told by the Holy Spirit, when you get there, here's what's waiting for you, affliction and imprisonment. So a lot of his friends were like, well, don't go then. Why are you going if that's what you're running into? And he continues to go because that's what the Holy Spirit has called him to do. So they're now arriving in Jerusalem. That's where we pick it up today. And our custom as we read the Word of God is that we stand. And so if you are able, would you stand as we read Acts 21, 17 to 36. Here is the Word of God. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. You can be seated. So there in your bulletin will be a sermon notes page, a life group guide, uh, so you're welcome to use that if it helps you to take notes while you listen. 
lot of the verses will be up on the screen as well if you didn't bring your Bible with you today. First point is just this, God is glorified when? God is glorified when, and two parts under that, God is glorified when God's work among the nations is shared. I'm not going to reread every single verse in here, we're going to reread a number of them, but you probably heard as we went through verses 17 to 20 that really what's happening there is a missions report. Paul has gone on a long missionary journey, covered all sorts of miles, and now he's coming back to the church leaders there in Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters of the church, right? He's coming back there, and he's giving a mission report. He's been out among the nations, among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and while he's been out, he's been preaching the gospel, and God has been saving Gentiles. And so he's making clear to them, here's God's saving work among the Gentiles. And did you notice how the people there in Jerusalem responded? It says, first of all, verse 17, they received us gladly. And then, verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And then listen to what happens in verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And then they got to share with Paul, here's what God's been doing among the Jewish people. So God is at work saving Gentiles, which is just non-Jewish people, and he's at work saving Jewish people. He's saving both kinds of people. The church is growing, the gospel is advancing, and God is glorified. But then we're told of a situation that could cause some division. Okay, Look at verse 21. It says in verse 21, this is the leaders in the church in Jerusalem talking to Paul and said, they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now that's probably not exactly the message that Paul is sharing, but you know how stuff works, just kind of like misinformation over, and so, so Paul is being accused of teaching in a way that would be offensive to the Jewish people. And so they're like, this is is going to be a problem. We've seen this before in the book of Acts. You see it all over the New Testament. When you have a diverse church, you've got a church where God is saving both Jew and Gentile. They have such different backgrounds and such different customs, such different theology, that putting them together in the same church is kind of challenging, right? And so there's been all sorts of challenges that they've faced so far, and now they're about to face another one. So they ask the question in verse 22. Verse 22, they ask a good question. What then is to be done? Right? Their, their desire, they're, they're rejoicing that the gospel has gone to Jews, the gospel has gone to Gentiles, God's saving all kinds of people, and they want that to keep happening, but like, well, how, how are we going to make that work? How are we going make, to make it work to have a church of Jews and Gentiles working together? This is potentially divisive. This could not go well, potentially. And then they have a plan. Look at verse 23. What's their plan? It's not even a request. They just tell Paul. Do therefore what we tell you. Then they tell of these four men who are under a vow. That's some type of Jewish vow that they have made. And they think, you know, what would would help us 
help the Jewish Christians in the area to be more accepting of God's work among the Gentiles that, that he's been doing through Paul is if Paul would kind of take this vow along with these other Jewish Christians. Because they're worried like, oh Paul, you're not as Jewish as you used to be. And so they're saying, well, we got an idea. Paul, you don't have to do this anymore, right? Remember, that's the whole deal. In Christ, Paul's not bound any longer to the old covenant, right? To, to the way things they, to the way they used to do things. He doesn't have to go through with taking these vows and, and doing all these old covenant things anymore. But they're saying, Paul, even though it's your right, it's your freedom in Christ not to do it, we think you should do it again. We think you should do it so that you can protect unity so the church can keep moving forward in gospel mission. They remind Paul too, so they say, Paul, will you relinquish your rights? And then they remind him, hey, we've asked the Gentiles to do this too. Look at verse 25, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. We covered that back in chapter 15. Remember, there was already this potential division in the church and they decided if we want to function together well as a church, we're going to have to ask the Gentiles, would you give up your rights? I know, it's fine for you to eat like a medium rare steak, but we're asking you not to do it, right? We're asking you to, to not do some of these things that you have the right to do, but in order for the sake of gospel unity among our Jewish brothers who would be concerned and uh, they, they wouldn't really get what you're doing, please just don't do that, okay? So you kind of get the picture of what's happening here. Maybe, maybe an illustration to help with this would just be parents. Parents, you've had to many times probably break apart two siblings who both believed they had full rights to a toy in your house, right? We try to teach the kids to make a compromise. We would say something like, hey, because you love your brother, I know you both want this right now, but because you love your brother, I would like you to give this up to your brother for five minutes, and he can play with it, and then after that five minutes are up, brother, you're going you're gonna to love your sister by willingly giving that up. So, so, so you're going to willingly give up something that you feel like you have full rights to in order to protect family unity and love one another well. So that's what's happening. Gentiles are being asked to relinquish their rights for the sake of their brothers and sisters. Paul, a Jewish Christian, asked to relinquish his rights for the sake of gospel unity and the advance of the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. So God is glorified when God's work among the nations is shared and a diverse church is filled with people willing to sometimes relinquish their rights for the sake of ongoing unity in the church and the advance of the gospel. So this sounds really good. But like, wait, I thought the Holy Spirit said when Paul gets to Jerusalem, it's going to be affliction and imprisonment. So what's all this? They're glorifying God. They're agreeing to do stuff. They're loving each other. This sounds not like affliction and imprisonment. Well, that's why we kept reading today, verses 27 to 36. Because there we start to hear from this loud crowd. In less than a week, the honeymoon is over. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and 
laid hands on him. Paul then will be accused. Look at verse 28. They cried out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man, pointing at Paul, right? This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And if you want to stir up a group of Jewish people, then, then you tell them, these, these people know that, they're Jewish themselves, right? Well, if we want to get the whole crowd stirred up, we're going to say, Paul is teaching people against these people, the Jewish people, and this place, the temple, where they're at, right? And, and against the law. Those are all things very important to the, to the Jewish people. And so, if they want everybody to get mad at Paul, like, well, he's teaching people, everyone everywhere. They're kind of exaggerating a little bit, too. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere about against the, the people and the law and this place. And then they bring in this accusation at the end of verse 28 that they don't even have evidence for. It, it probably didn't even happen. It says, moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And then Luke gives us this comment in verse 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, right? So they're making an accusation. They're getting everybody all stirred up, making kind of an exaggerated accusation, and then an accusation that they don't even have any evidence for. Trying to get Jews mad. He's against the people. He's against the law. He's against the temple. And then, and then he brought this guy in. They didn't even see that happen. It probably didn't even happen. They just made an assumption and then an accusation. And now it's going to move beyond just an accusation. It's going to get worse. Let's keep going. Verses 30 through 36. Verse 30 it says, then all the city was stirred up, okay? They, they successfully got everybody worked up into a frenzy. All the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and now it gets violent. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, okay? This is not just people shouting at each other. This is now getting physical. They're taking Paul. They seized him and they dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And then verse 31, and as they were seeking to kill him. Okay, so this has escalated really, really fast from just, you know, a, a debate, uh, an accusation, and now some violence. They're pulling him out and they're trying to kill him. That's their goal. And it says, word came to the tribune of the cohort. That's, that's the, a Roman leader of part of the military. That all Jerusalem was in confusion, right? They, they want to try to keep peace in this city. And they're hearing, it's not peaceful down there. And so, what do they do? And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers. Oh, wait, I, I didn't read verse 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. Yeah, I read that they were probably stationed right above the temple. They knew that's where a lot of stuff was going to happen in Jerusalem. And so they probably had a military station right there outside the temple. So they were able to just run down to where all of this confusion and chaos was taking place. They run down, and that's what God uses to save Paul temporarily, right? They were trying to kill him. But it says in verse 32, And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Verse 33, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with 
two chains, and he inquired who he was and what he had done. Quick, like, back up for a second for, for a quick kind of bigger picture note. We've divided this whole sermon series into three parts. We started, and we've divided it according to what Jesus said was going to happen. That the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in his disciples, and that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is pretty much covered in chapters 1 through 7. So that was part one of our series. And then he said, and also in Judea and Samaria. That was pretty much chapters 8 through 12. So that was part two of our series. And now, this huge section from chapter 13 to 28 is about how the gospel has gone to the ends of the world. But if we wanted to, we could divide all those, that big section, chapters 13 to 28, we could divide that into two as well. Chapters 13, right up through this part of chapter 21, is Paul's, third, or Paul's missionary journeys. But from this point on, where it says here, Paul is arrested, for the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is not free to go and do whatever he wants to do. For the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is now a prisoner. So you kind of got Paul, the missionary, apostle, church builder, church planter, right? That's what he's doing from chapters 13 to 21. Now you've got Paul, the prisoner. Bind him up with two chains. For the rest of the book, that's how it's going to be. So just a, a note about the structure of the book. What are things like in Jerusalem? Remember, the Holy Spirit said it's going to be affliction and imprisonment, right? And it's chaos and confusion there in Jerusalem. Look at verse 34. <laughs> some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. Remember, the, the tribune's just, he's trying to figure out what's going on here. So he asked the question, you know, like, what's going on here? Who is this man and what has he done? And some people are shouting one thing and some people are shouting another thing. It's just chaos. And then look at this line. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. <laughs> I had to pause with that, with that line uh, this week. They could not learn the facts because of the uproar. It's almost like they had a smartphone or talk radio or cable news, right? You can't even learn the facts because it's just uproar. Everybody's just mad about something, right? Everybody's mad and they're all yelling, and somewhere underneath all of it, there's some facts somewhere, but nobody, it's hard to figure out, right? That's what's happening here. Couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar. So, so that's the passage, okay? That's what we're going through today. God, at first, seems to be glorified as this diverse church figures out a way that they can love one another by relinquishing some of their rights in order to love one another so the gospel can keep advancing to all different kinds of people. And then everything kind of goes south. There is a loud crowd outside the church bent on stirring people up. They're making accusations based on assumptions. And despite having only a few facts, they're getting all stirred up. So that's the passage for today. All right, we've gone through it, but we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This, by the way, I, I, tell, I tell you this, like we go through all of Scripture. We start at the beginning of a book, we go to the end. There's some passages like, oh man, I can't wait to preach that one. This wasn't in that category. Um, but, but we really do believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So I had to just sit there with this 
and ask God for help. God, how should this be applied to me and to our church? So a couple of points. First application point is this. Are we going to follow the loud crowd or relinquish our rights for the advance of the gospel and the glory of God? I started this sermon with a reminder of how easy it is for a church to become divided. I say it because I've seen it. I mentioned to you how thankful I am by the grace of God, though we didn't do and don't do everything perfectly, God has continued to grow us in the gospel as a church, and I'm thankful. So I had to ask myself, well, how did that happen? I want to review this because I have no doubt that there's going to be other stuff, right? There's going to be other stuff in the future that people have strong opinions about, and everybody's in an uproar and all of that kind of stuff. There's going to be that. We have a growing number of people in the church, and we're not all the same, right? We've got old people, and we've got young people. We've got married people. We've got single people. We've got people from a variety of church backgrounds or no church background, and we're all coming together, and we've got different opinions, not so much on like vows and circumcision, I don't really have many differences of opinions on those things. But there's hot topics of our day, ranging from, again, politics, race, pandemic response. People have different opinions about those things. It's easy to become divided and distracted from gospel mission. So how do we avoid that and live in unity on mission? Well, I think one thing that I can pick up from here is we resist the temptation to follow the loud crowd. We resist the temptation to follow the loud crowd. Because we're all being discipled by something, and I think most of the world around us really is being discipled by the loud crowd, by talk radio hosts who share one side of issues and use selective facts to try to prove their point. A lot of people are being discipled by them. A couple hours a day, three, what, I don't know. Part of, like, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe... Uh, not desensitized this much because I don't tune into any of that stuff too much. And when I do, I listen like, oh man, this is so silly. Uh, how, how, like, hey, I've got my set of facts and I'm going to share my opinion based on my set of facts and I'm going to ignore all sorts of other things is what it usually seems like to me. Happens the same on cable news channels. They seek to keep you engaged with constant breaking news. It's cut, like, so I've started working out at the Dale Howard Center again. So the news is on there. There's always breaking news. There's never been a moment where there's not breaking news. Have you noticed that? There's always something really important that you have to listen to. Because this is super important right now. And usually they're passionate about it. And it's hard-hitting, abrasive, angry, mocking people on the other side. The loud crowd might just be, you know, your social media feed and the algorithms that figure out, hey, this is what this person likes to hear. And so we're going to keep feeding it to them. We live in a world of division fueled by accusations based on assumptions. We live in a world where we can't learn the facts because of the uproar. And my fear is that if we keep listening to all of that, we're going to start believing that the most important things for us to talk about and be engaged in are debates about vaccines and politics. That's not the most important thing for us to be talking about, right? Right? So that's why I love this passage and just see, see this, this willingness to, to give up some of our, like, man, I, maybe that's important to me, maybe it's not, but I want to give that up in order to continue in gospel advance and gospel mission on, in unity together. 
So what if we chose to live differently than the world around us? Again, that we were people most molded by the very word of God. Go ahead and turn one spot. Just want to read a couple verses. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And I think he argues for why, well, I'm not saying I think. He does. He argues for why he has a number of rights as a Christian. And here's what he does with his rights. Verse 12. says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure every, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. I've got all sorts of rights, and I'm not taking advantage of them because it might get in the way of the gospel of Christ. So I'm giving that up, right? Skip ahead to uh, verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, right? He's willingly giving up. He, he argues, it's kind of an interesting argument. He first argues, here's why I have rights. I have rights to do this. I have rights to do that, according to Scripture. And here's why I'm not making use of any of those, right? Why does he do that? Why does Paul do that? Look at verses 19 through 23. Let's just read it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. Paul, so driven by the gospel, like, well, whatever it takes, it's not going to be about me and my rights and my opinions and me getting my way and my preferences. It's going to be about me giving up all of that in order to win more for the sake of Christ. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. That's exactly what he was doing in the passage we looked at today. You want me to take this vow, shave my head? What, like, okay, I'll do it if that helps me win Jews. Let me do it. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I think this is helpful. I don't know what the next divisive issue will be, but I'm sure there will be one, right? Iowa Falls Eve Free Church, just as we didn't divide over masks and vaccines and race and elections in the past couple of years, let's commit to not value our rights and our opinions so much that we fail to regularly love one another by relinquishing our rights, to suck it up, to take one for the team, to do whatever it takes, to stick together for the advance of the gospel to the glory of God. How do we do that? Close with this, leading into communion. Remember how in this passage, when Paul entered in Jerusalem, at first he was welcomed gladly. It says they received him gladly. Everybody's so happy that Paul has arrived, right? They're happy about the work that God is doing. They glorified God, it said. But less than a week later, He's getting beat, and they're saying, away with him. About 20 years before that, does this remind you of anything? About 20 years before that, Paul's Savior, Jesus, entered Jerusalem on a Sunday. Remember what the crowd said when Jesus entered Jerusalem? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Remember what happened less than a week later? Jesus was arrested and the crowd 
cried out, crucify him. Jesus endured this willingly. Jesus willingly relinquished his rights for us. And I've read this passage before, but I'm going to close by just reading it. No comments. I could have lots of comments. I actually, I mean, we, went, we did a Philippian series this summer, and so preached on this passage, but I think we just need to hear it again and again. Because we're so prone to just kind of think we're all that. Like everything needs to kind of go along with what I think and what I want. And this is not the way of Christ. And so let's just hear again. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. I love this transition. He's telling them, here's what you're supposed to be like, church. You care about other people more than yourself. You, you consider others more significant than yourselves, right? But then he's telling us, this is the mind that we have in Christ Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Listen to what Jesus did. Talk about relinquishing your rights, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what Christ has done for us, and this is what leads us into communion today. Before we take communion, let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would make us a church that lives together in full accord, like this passage says. We just admit, I'll admit for myself, tempted to be selfish and conceited. And God, we need your help to, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. We confess that we love ourselves, we look after our own interests, we love our own opinions, we're pretty convinced that we're right, we love our own rights, we love our way of seeing things. Help us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Pray that you give us this kind of mind that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you that your son took the form of a servant, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And even as the songs we've sung today have, have led us in this direction, and now this passage too has led us in this direction, I pray that you would now prepare our hearts to be reminded of your son's work for us as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.